In today's show, we're talking about auction drafts, or they may be called salary cap drafts, but we're talking about them. Tips, strategies, what they are, how it works, and why you should do them. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. All right, tomorrow we're doing an auction mock. I'm doing an auction mock draft on the show. Be aware on Twitter when I put out the call if you want to join it. I think I've got five people in there at the moment, analysts, um, and then I've got seven other spots available. So we're going to do one there. What we're doing today is a video that I do every year. So yes, I do it every year. Try to do a few little different things here as well. There's going to be a lot of tips for beginners. There are some things that I think are going to be interesting for uh, experienced fantasy managers when we're talking about auction drafts. We're going to go through the basics, why you should do it, some different things that happen. And again, why you should do it. That's that's the main takeaway. Why you should do an auction draft. So, warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about a fundament the fundamentals. Again, I, I will reiterate this. An auction draft is called on some sites a salary cap draft. It is the same thing. It is, I understand why the name they changed the name. My problem with them changing the name is that salary cap leagues already exist and they're not the same thing. Salary cap leagues are leagues that have a salary cap and your players have a salary and you deal with real salaries or NBA salary caps or whatever. Those things have existed and throwing the same name onto something is frustrating. So that's why I do refer to them as auctions, just so we know the difference of what we're talking about. But when you go onto a Yahoo, which doesn't offer any sort of salary-based um, league, salary cap means auction. Okay? So how does it work? That's a really good question. Everyone who's in your league gets a budget. Normally, it's $200. That's default. You can change that to whatever you want. 100 300 1000 Do whatever you want. But the more money you throw out there, the longer a draft usually lasts. Just throwing that out there as well. $200 per manager is usually um, the amount of budget that you have. And every time something happens in an auction draft, just always remember this key point, probably the most key point. As soon as one thing happens in an auction draft, everything that proceeds it changes. It's not like a snake draft. If Jokic goes at one and Embiid goes at two, well, you have the same idea of what you do at three or four or five. Or if Jokic goes at one and Halliburton goes at two, then the changes at three, four, and five aren't that big. It doesn't matter. In an auction draft, everything changes. Different players in different orders, different values on different guys, the size of your league, the size of your roster, the type of categories you have, which obviously changes the snake draft too, Um, the active versus bench splits, it all changes. It adapts every single time something happens in a league, the whole parameters of the league change. That's why I am quite reticent when I am talking about players, 
about throwing out, like, well, I say this guy might be the 40th or 45th best player or fourth round guy. It's really hard to say he's a $20 player because that's just not realistic. You have a 10-team league. If you're in a 10-team league, a 12-team league, a 14-team league in a snake draft, the guy who's the 40th best player is around the 40th best player. If you're in an auction draft, a 10-team league, 12-team league, 14-team league, 20-team league, that guy might be worth $15, $30, $50. Your budget might impact all of those things. He might be worth $10 in one draft and $17 in another draft, depending on how much everyone went for. And the range of every player is significantly different. Nomination. So what do you do in an auction draft? We all sit there. We're in a snake. No, it's not a snake, actually. We're in an order of guys, all 12 of you. Let's just use 12 as the default. I'm number one. I throw out whatever player I want, whoever I want, I can throw out there. I can throw out um, a Men Thompson to be the first player if I like. Can I get Did I say that just so I could play my new sound drop? Yes, but I could throw a man out there as the first guy. And we see what people bid on. The person who goes next can throw out Big Chungus. And you just go down the list. And when you get to the 12th guy, then it comes back up to me. And I throw out the next guy. And you keep going and you keep nominating those guys. Now, the default that will pop up on the site is that you throw a dollar out on that player. But you don't have to do that. I can get um, Damian Lillard and throw $40 on him. Throw it out. Let's start. Let's kick things off, which is etiquette-wise the best way to do it. If someone's expected to be a $60 player, don't bid them for a dollar and make people bid up all the way up to 60. Throw them out for 40. Throw them out for 30. You're never going to get a half price discount of those players. It's never going to happen. So etiquette-wise, let's speed things up, throw the, the big bigger money out early. There's a lot of stuff that you can do in terms of um, initial bids, nomination strategy, who you throw out there first, how do you bid them up. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. As a general rule, again, if you want to talk general rules, the number one thing you want to do in an auction draft is get money out of there. Get money off the board. Get it out of people's wallets. The more money that are out of people's wallets and the more money that's in yours gives you an advantage later on in the draft. So if you are like, I am never ever drafting Victor Wembenyama, I don't want to draft him, nominate him. Because as soon as someone else spends that money, they can't spend it on someone that you do want. Bids are usually a $1 increment as the default, but you don't have to do that. If you just hit the bid button on the screen, it'll go up by a dollar. But you can also go into the bid thing and type in what you want to bid. I want to bid 40 on this guy or 45. Crank things up. And that's all strategy-based stuff as well. It's not just as simple as I'm just going to hit bid and bid and bid and bid. I'm not going to let it run down every time. You've got to mix all these things up. There's a whole bunch of things that can happen in an auction draft. But your big takeaways are, I think, again, if you're not going to listen to any more of this show, which you should, but if you're not, auction draft your number one strategy, get money off the board. Get people's money out of there. That's how, uh, there's a balance, but that's how that you can get value in your team the best way. Now, when everyone in your league is doing the same thing, it gets a bit challenging. But that is the number one strategy, I think, that will pay dividends if it works out for you. I hope that makes sense. Today's episode is brought to you by the legends over at Bird Dogs. We love shorts that are comfortable. I do. I wear shorts literally every single day. And I don't want things that are stiff like your traditional khaki shorts. Khakis. I want shorts that feel comfortable. But I can wear them wherever without people going, what are you, you know, what are you, what are you those for? No, no, no. Bird dogs, they look great. 
They've got the nice little fitted stretch part underneath, which make your legs look sculpted. I don't need a huge amount of help in that area. I'm rippling. But get those in there really tight, really get make those legs look nice, super comfortable as well. Instead of the stiff fabric you get with khakis, you get these ones here with their cloud knit fabric, and it just stretches. It just makes it so comfortable. So whatever you're doing, whether you are playing basketball, you're playing golf, you're going to the shops, you're going to a restaurant, you're going to a bar, you're going to old mate's house to go watch the TV, whatever. Bird Dogs will transition to whatever situation that you need them to. So go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA or use the promo code LockedOnNBA at checkout and you get a free Bird Dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA for a free water bottle at checkout. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you. So now that we've got the basics of auction, nominate a player, everyone bids until a timer runs out, you get that player. Like a house auction, going once, going twice, sold. Why would you want to do an auction? What's the point of doing an auction? Why should I change? Why should I convince my league mates to change? Well, it's fair. It's the most fair way of getting through it. If you are stuck in a snake draft to pick 11, you have no chance of getting Jokic. You have no chance of getting Tatum or Shea or Halliburton or Embiid or whoever you want. You can't get them at pick 12. You can't do it. You have to list your trade assets and you, you can't do it. In an auction, if you want him, you get him. Simple. If I want Jokic and someone puts $70 on him, I want him. I'll take 71. And then he says, I'll take 72. And you go 73 and you keep going. But if you want him, you can get him. Now, there's a limit to that, of course, because if you run out of money, you run out of money. But theoretically, you have an opportunity to get every single player in the draft. How you set that up is up to you. But you have that opportunity of doing it. There's more layers of complexity. We talk about layers of complexity and layers of investment and layers of strategy and fantasy all the time. This is no offense. People love casual things and they just want to play with their mates. You play in a points league. That is, a points league snake draft is the most basic form of fantasy. I'd actually say probably a best ball draft might be the basic form of fantasy because you're making a draft and then you never do anything to adjust during the season. And that's points as well. Then it's a points league redraft situation. Auction adds an extra level of complexity because it's not just, well, I'm sitting here at this spot. I've got a list of guys in front of me. Who do I take? You have to be deliberate in who you're targeting because it's not going to be a simple, well, oh, there's five guys at the top of this list. Oh, one of them will work. That's fine. It doesn't work that way. You've got to work out how you allocate your money and how you build your team up. It is strategy and it allows for you to really hone in and doing different things. Engagement in a draft is huge. Now, that might be a detriment to some, but you have to be concentrating the whole time. That's what's going to make tomorrow's mock draft where I'm going to talk a two-hour show and try to draft it's tough and I will screw up undoubtedly because that focus on actually producing a show and doing an auction mock is, is tough. You gotta be focused on every pick because you gotta see what happens. If someone that you don't want, let's throw it out there, Anthony Davis, and you're expecting Anthony Davis is gonna go for $50 and for some reason he goes for 75 or well, you need to be aware of that. Why? If you, even if you don't want him and you don't get him, well, that means that out of the overall money pool, 25 extra dollars have disappeared, meaning somebody has 25 fewer dollars to spend on other guys, meaning the value of other players, or, the, or the, the price that other players go for, probably drops because that extra $25 isn't there. You got to pay attention. It also gives you greater flexibility. How do you build your team? In a snake draft, you can't build stars and scrubs. You can't build a balanced lineup. You can trade into it. You can't build it. It's impossible. 
but you can in an auction draft. And we're going to talk more about that later on. The number one reason why you should change to an auction draft, it's more fun. It, it just is. Caveat applied. The caveat is maybe you don't want to think about fantasy too much. But it's just more fun. And the absolute ultimate top tier fantasy experience, fantasy drafting experience, is a live in-person auction draft. You're all sitting around a lounge room, around a table at a bar. There's an auctioneer there. He's saying the names and you're bidding. That's the most fun draft experience you can have. If you haven't done it, I recommend doing it. And maybe one day, hmm, maybe one day, if we get to a big enough situation with this channel, maybe I'll do one. Maybe we'll go and somewhere here uh, in Melbourne. Yeah, I know all of you aren't from Australia. We'll set up a, a live draft in person at a bar in a back room and people can watch and we'll do it live. Maybe we'll do that. That's an idea. Yeah, there you go. Think about that one. Um, the downsides. It striates a lot. What does that mean? Well, if you've got good managers and bad managers, it's the difference is going to be a lot larger. If someone has never done an auction draft and six of the blokes in there have done them all the time, well, those players who have no idea what they're doing are going to get cooked. In a snake draft, it's hard to get that cooked because, again, you sit there at your seventh round pick and the league's list will show you who's at the top. Oh, one of these guys will do all right. It's very hard to drop. The floor is higher in a snake draft. In an auction, even though it does tell you projected and average dollar values, if you don't plan it out, if you don't budget it, if you go in there and say, well, I'm going to spend 90 on Jokic and I'm going to spend 80 on Embiid and then that's it. Well, good luck because you're done. But you've got to have that experience. And if people don't know what they're doing and they don't nail that draft or have an idea of how it goes, well, they can go into the season, get pumped 8-1 the first three weeks and go, what am I done? I don't know what I'm doing. The auction screwed me and they're out and your league becomes less competitive, which is undoubtedly a downside. All right, we always know this. This is an overarching rule. Is it overarching or overarching? I never know what the right word is. It doesn't matter. You got to know your league and it, there's extra things to know in an auction draft. You have to know the basics, your categories, what your scoring system is, weekly, daily, how many IR slots. You've got to know all that for every league. But for auction, you've got to know things and how they impact the league. League size is important. 12-team league is the standard, and I wish every league was just 12-teamers because it just makes things a lot more easy to talk about. But it's not. Every time you have more teams in a league, there is more money available. And that might seem basic to you, but not everyone sees that first off because everyone has $200, 12 teams, $200 each. There's $2,400 available to spend on all of the players. If you go to a 14-team league, you add two extra players in and you add, let's use standard numbers, you add 26 extra roster spots with $400. So instead of $2,400 in there, there's $2,800 in there total now. But... I know you've added extra roster spots, but what that means is all that extra money, it gets pumped into the top end guys. So the prices of those top end players might bump five or six dollars. Most of that extra four hundred gets chucked into the top fifty to seventy players. The smaller your league is, the smaller your budget is overall. And understanding how much money comes out of things is important. The roster size. The bigger your roster, you have a 17-man roster, the less money there is to go around on average per slot. So again, you go to a 14 or 15-man roster instead of 13, 
and you've still got $200 to play with, well, the prices of players have to come down or the striation between players increases where the top guys still go for the same amount, but all the mid-range guys become cheaper because you still got to fill more roster spots. Active versus bench split is also a key consideration. If you run the standard 10 starters and three bench guys, that's okay. But if you run a seven starter, six bench, well, there's no point allocating the same amount of resources to my six bench players. Whereas in a standard sort of split, I'd probably give my bench guys, those three players, $4 as a basic budget, 3 to $5 of budget salary. But if I've got, and if I've got six players there, well, maybe I give it $10 for six players. But that means that my top seven now have $190 to spend on. And those prices go up. The value of your top guys increases in that scenario. Obviously, there's a big difference between redraft and dynasty. We're not really going to touch on dynasty leagues too much here. But an auction draft for a dynasty startup is the ultimate, especially for fairness, but then it can add extra complexity in terms of contracts. Whatever amount you bid on a player and you get that player for, that becomes that guy's contract. You say, I've spent 70 on Jokic. Well, I can hold him next season for 70 or 10% inflation, or $5 inflation, or whatever it is. And then your auction budget turns into your salary cap. And then if you only spend $150 in the draft, you've got an extra $50 to play with in terms of trades and getting guys in. All those rules change. And then there is, of course, the youth inflation that comes through, where these guys are not going to be worth the money that they're getting paid for in year one, but you're, you're scaling it up, which is you know, pretty common across in all sort of dynasty formats. Bidding strategies, there are quite a few of them. Now we're going to move into a little bit more advanced stuff here. That's a lot of that stuff is the basics of auctions. And there is going to be something that people will talk about, and I will talk about this a little bit later. But one of the common questions is, Josh, how do I turn ADP and round number into auction value? And the answer is, we'll talk about it later though. The answer is you can't really. You can't really. But we'll talk about it later. Bidding strategies. A couple of different names that I've given them here. Blitz bidding. What does that mean? This is so much. Fantasy has a lot of psychology in it. Auction has more. You're out there and I'm battling against uh, old mate Joe over here. How you going, Joe? And we're out here trying to get, um, again, I'm just going to do it because I've got a new sound drop for him. We're trying to uh, bid for Clay Thompson. Yeehaw. Okay, so he throws 10 on him. And in my head, I've got, I'll spend 20 on Clay. Not fake number, made it up. I don't know if that's real. Right, he goes 10. So he does 10, he bids it, and you go straight away, bid 11. He goes, all right, five, cool, 12. Bang, bang, 13. He does a good 40, bang, 15. He goes, bloody hell, is this guy just going to keep going? And then he does again, he goes, bang, 17. And you go, Jesus Christ, like, all right, fine, have him. I'm not going to win this. And you can, it's the Blitzkrieg effect. You throw it out, then you just overwhelm them. Well, I'm never going to get him because he has just got unlimited money apparently to get this player. That's blitz bidding. Slow rolling is a different type of strategy. You go out there and there might be a player that sits there and they're a $40 player and they're sitting at 30 and you might throw a dollar on them. The idea here is to get the other people to go, oh, what is this guy doing? All right, I want him for 37. I'm going to throw 37 on him not understand that you would have only gone to a maximum 33. So you just, and why I said etiquette at the start in terms of only you know, not putting $1 bids out on $50 players is frowned upon. When you get to the middle rounds, 
slow roll a play. If the guy is a $40 guy and he's sitting at 20, maybe do 21, 22. Because I've seen this happen so often where someone comes out and goes, well, I just want this guy. I think he's worth $45. And it's sitting at 23 and they throw 45 on and they grab him because they're frustrated waiting. Whereas if me and him were the only guy bidding, I would have only gone to 28, mate. You just wasted $17. It's suckering them in. Playing on impatience doesn't always work. And it's always a fine balance. And you can't do these things exclusively. You can't just bang, 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 blitz bid. You can't slow roll every time. You've got to mix them through. Sniping. We know what sniping is is a general rule in a snake draft where I'm drafting at six and old mate's sitting behind me at seven and I pick the guy who wants me. He's like, ah, oh, Josh, you sniped me. Yeah, that's what we mean. Sniping's a little bit different here. It's like we've got the, the bid sitting at 20 bucks and... I forgot I had this sound drop, by the way. And I'm gonna, now I need to find it. Um, for Tyrus Halliburton. We use Tyrus Halliburton. Halliburton's sitting there at 60. Right? <laughs> and the clock's winding down. Five. Four. Going once. Going twice. Bid. And the guy goes, oh, he got him. All right, then he goes and puts a bid on. Then you do it again. And it makes... They either think you're playing a tactic... Or you're debating, oh, do I can I actually afford it? And it's it's a way of showing either you've got a level of uncertainty, pissing them off again to try and get them to bid up, but just waiting, waiting until that clock really ticks down, and then going once, going twice, go, hey, threw the bid in there, and you're getting back. Ah, oh, he gets frustrated, and he, there's again bunches of psychology involved here. There's the pump and dump, which you know is an is an interesting phrase. You bid up someone that you don't want because you want money off the board, but there is a risk of this. Let's say that you don't want the biggest bird, Zion Williamson. I'm the biggest bird. I'm the biggest bird. But he's saying that you think he's probably a 20... We're always going to use 20, not always, but $20 player. And he's sitting there at five. You go, well, no way. I am not letting somebody get him for five. So you bid him up to six. And that guy goes seven. You go, seven's not right. Get him an eight. Nine, ten, but then there's a stage where it's getting to an area where what is the risk of me allowing him to go for too cheap to somebody else, or me getting stuck for someone that I didn't want and spending seventeen dollars, even though he's a twenty dollar player, but I didn't really want him because it didn't fit with my other guys. So it's yeah, pump and dump. I guess you could call it price enforcement, but there's a risk in it as well. And how far do you push it before? And generally. The rule that I have is the further you push it should be inversely correlated to um, how much you don't want this player on your team. If you can stomach it, if he makes sort of a little bit of sense on your team, keep pushing. Push it to at least value or average or projected or whatever if he's okay on your team. But if you absolutely don't want it and it screws everything and it gives you your seventh center, don't push it that far. Because if you cop it, and that's another thing, the other person might just be goading you into it. If you cop it, then you're in real trouble and it's hard to get out of that stuff. This is another one which I think is relatively interesting. It doesn't always happen this way. But there is a psychology around round numbers or even numbers even. We always talk top fives, top tens, top twenties. People love groups. People, apart from Americans, love the decimal system. You love tens, right? So sometimes throwing different numbers in there can throw people off. Have you ever seen those scenarios? And I guarantee there are people here who are watching this show, listening to this show, who it applies to, 
who when they're playing on their TV and seeing the volume, they can't have it on an even an odd number. Well, the volume's at 37. Oh, it's got to, I've got to make it 38. Oh, I've got to have it four. It's got to be in five. It's got to be 35 or 40. I can't have it in between. Now, is that some form of mental illness? Sure, we've all got mental illness. But it happens. It happens all over the place. I don't like odd numbers. I don't like even numbers. I don't like numbers that aren't fives or tens. So sometimes that can enable others to bid for more than they should. So instead of bidding someone up to 40, bid them up to 41. Or if you want someone to take it, bid them to 39 and see if they'll just go, oh, 40 is fine. But they won't go higher than that. Then they throw 40, you throw 41. They go, oh, I don't actually want to go to 50. So you stick to 41. Now this doesn't apply all the time. But there's often these little psychological things in there. Odd numbers, random numbers, not even, not round. You can get a little advantage there with those sort of things. Again, not always. Dynamic budgeting. It's one of the big issues, I think, in auction drafts. Is that we can go in with the best laid plans, but you have to understand how things change. Because they change immediately in an auction draft. Or maybe not immediately, but as soon as something happens, something changes. We go in there and we see that um, Shea Gildas-Alexander has a projected value of 55 on Yahoo. That's what their projected number says for Shea in an auction. And we go in there and, and this nearly always happens, by the way. There's nearly always one player who's a top 10 sort of guy who vastly goes under. You know, and it's usually in the first four to five nominations as people are trying not to blow too early. There's like, oh, and then he sits there and he goes $10 under. There's, it's always going to happen to someone early and there's going to be a top 50 guy, a top 60 guy who goes 10 bucks cheaper later. How to plan for that and how to know it's going to happen or who it's going to be, it's impossible. But it is going to happen. So Shay's at $55 and then he goes for 70 You go, ah, all right. Old mate really is into Shay, but there's $15 off the board. So that $15 is going to be spread around. You look for the general trend. Is your league overspending on everybody? Is, did Jokic go for 80? Did Booker go for 50? Did Tatum go for 70? You go, all right, this is the draft we're in, huh? I'll pull back, which I think is always a good op- option to sort of steer away from what the others are doing. But if Jokic comes in with a projection of 61 and an average of 74, and he sits at 54 and someone gets him, you go, oh, that's interesting. He's $7 under. Sometimes that can be the one that slips through to the keeper and people go, oh, what are we doing? You got the steal, the drive. How'd you get out? of we let him get Jokic at 55? That'll happen in the chat room every time. And then see what happens to the next guy that goes off. If, if uh, Anthony Davis goes up there with an average uh, auction price of 52 and he also goes for 45, you go, oh, all right. People are reserving. So we can get some of these top guys at cheaper prices. But you have to understand how those trends happen and how to adjust on the fly. Always keep an eye on what your average money per slot remaining is. As a general rule, my bench guys, I will keep as $1 players. As a general rule, $1 players. And I want at least one $1 player on my team for streaming purposes, for grabbing guys hot off the waiver wire early on. But as a general rule, to bump the prices up, I want to look at my last three guys, my bench players, as $1 only players. And calculate that in when looking at the average per slot remaining, and then use calculations on that. 
Punting can be a way that if you have started to overspend on guys early on in a draft, that you can start to then recoup some value back. We've gone like five bucks over on this guy or four bucks over on that guy. And then you go, well, I'm actually not that competitive here in free throws or in points. Let's pivot this team into a bit of a punting team. Therefore, I can then start to get players. Draymond Green comes to mind, who is a really, really strong punt points guy who might be an $8 player, but in a punt point situation, he's probably a $17 player. So if I get him for that eight, it helps me recoup a little bit of the money that I may have overspent earlier on. I'm going to show you an example little spreadsheet that I set up. The numbers on this that I've set up in value aren't, don't apply to anything. They're not, they're not real. They're just sort of fake numbers that I threw out there, right? There's some, some reality with some of them, but they're not, they're not 100% real in terms of the valuation uh, of these players that we're, that we're going to throw out. So this is a good idea, I think, to set up, have a list of sort of targets that you want. We'll talk more about additional plans later on and see how you can work that when a draft is going on. Very, very basic stuff here. We have a column there, which is the average price that players are being auctioned at on Yahoo for a 12-team league. We have a projected price for the 12-team leagues as well. And then we have how we're going to value these guys. You'll see down the bottom of the Yahoo average price, I've got a sum that all of those guys that I've got as targets equals $160 out of my $200 budget. I've got a $40 buffer. The Yahoo projected price sits at 185 so I don't know whether people are going to be using projected price in the auction or they're going to be using average price. Probably they're going to be using average price, but you want to have an idea of both of these things. So I've got a $15 buffer through projected value. But the way that I've projected these guys, and again, these aren't numbers, they're not real in terms of valuations of these players. They're, they're you know, just some guide numbers. Don't use this, I stress enough, do not use this as an it's not an ideal team. It's not a perfect team. I haven't looked at balancing anything. I haven't looked at any sort of construction like that. I just grabbed a bunch of guys that I thought were worth interesting and just chucking some numbers on them. But when I look at the way that my valuation sits there, I've got these guys valued at $274 of value. And on their average price, it's $160. So I'm going $114 over. That's a generally pretty good rule. If you can end a draft with around 100 plus extra value, you do it. That's that's a good win in an auction draft. Now in this one here, yeah, that's yeah, your value is at 270 and you understand you've got a little bit more scope on that and you'll see you've got a $40 buffer. So when players start going off the board, all the guys start getting drafted, you'll see do they go near their average, higher than their average, lower than their average? Because if players start going at a number that's higher than their average, well, that means that you probably can get all of these guys at that price and you've got a $40 buffer. So maybe you can upgrade some of these guys. Maybe instead of Markel Fultz at $4, you take a $15 point guard. Maybe instead of Austin Reeves at $4, you take someone else in the middle rounds. You take, a, I was going to say Chris Middleton, but he's already on this list. You take a, you try and get a Devin Booker. Like you use that to say, well, if everyone's going at average or below, I've got 40 bucks to play with here. So you'd expand this spreadsheet out and have different options. Well, who's an upgrade on Gafford that I can spend a little bit more on if I need to? Who's an upgrade on Fultz? Who's an upgrade on Halliburton? Who's an upgrade on Bridges if I need to? And also have the downgrades. What if I want Gafford? I've got him projected, or his average is three. What if he goes for 20? And I've only said, I've maxed him at 10 here. Well, I, I do have 
I do have a level of buffer space. I got 40 bucks to absorb that. But even though I'm, you know, do I want to spend up to $20 if I only value him at 10? Probably not. But the buffer is here to know that if Gafford goes for 12, you've gone $2 over, but you got the space. But what about we go into a situation like this then? And then Halliburton goes off the board. You've got him priced at 60. The average was 65. The projector was 57. But someone bid him up to 70. Someone took Jordan Poole all the way up to 30 from the $20 average. Someone took Beal up from an average of 9 to 20. Not unrealistic. And someone took Chrissy Middleton up from $4 average. Insane. Projector number 6. Insane. Up to 20. Well, if all those things happen, your buffer is gone. You're at minus 3. Your team, if everyone else sits... At that Yahoo average price, your team sits at $203. Now, because a lot of these guys are going well over average, that means there are going to be other bargains appear. But it doesn't mean that it's going to be the guys that you target who are the bargains. So you might have to go searching around. Who do I get that's going to come in under value here to make up that difference? And what you want to do is each time you buy someone or get someone in auction, that you want that buffer number to turn back to green to get yourself back. And some other things could go wrong. Gafford could go for $5. That's still $5 under what you wanted, but that cut into your buffer. What if Cade goes here for 21? That's underneath average, but it didn't recoup all the value because we had Franz Wagner go for $19 here. We had um, Austin Reeves go for three and, and said Beal go for 20. And that puts you $12 in the hole. And you really need to start looking at who you're going to get. So having this, and I, I do tend to call it the plus minus method. Whereas, this is just a spreadsheet version of it. I've got this guy projected at this amount, but I need him to go at this amount. Like I've got that $40 buffer. So each time that someone goes above the average price, I take money out of that $40 buffer. Each time someone goes under, I add money into the $40 buffer. I think starting a draft, using the Yahoo projected versus Yahoo average, Starting the draft and having like $10 buffer is probably a good area to start, which is what we looked at with that projected number, which sits at 185 That's 10 to $15 of buffer. But being able to adapt is super important through a draft because as soon as someone changes price, as soon as Halliburton goes $13 over, it changes a lot. As soon as Gafford goes $15 over, well, that's rooted. And that brings me into talking about sleepers and the impact of hype. We'll call this sleeper inflation. Because you will see there'll be people in a draft who will read an article, who will see a tweet, who will listen to a podcast of some dickhead in Australia talking about fantasy basketball. And I'll get it in their head. Well, this guy's a sleeper. I've got to have him, man. Josh is talking about him all the time. I've just got to have him. He's a sleeper. Get rid of that idea. Do not have a must-have player. It's a garbage way to look at things. It will screw you. Because if you have the must-have player and someone else wants the must-have player and then three, four people in your league have been reading the same articles and they start to push a $4 player, Austin Reeves, to 15 and the value's gone. Same way that you're taking Austin Reeves at pick 40 in a draft, in a snake draft. doesn't make sense. It kills it. This is talking about undervalued players starting to go too high because of hype. Because there is a projected number. There is an average number. But your league might just look at things completely different. And they start throwing random amounts on a $2 player. And your whole draft strategy was based around getting this $2 player who you think is worth 20 bucks. But when that guy goes for $20, what do you do then? That's where that buffer comes in. 
where is the hype coming from? Social media, preseason play, FIBA World Cup play, other fantasy analysts. Just watch it. Maintain your budget discipline. Have an idea of if these guys start to go awry, how much do you actually think they're worth? Understanding that how much buffer you've got and how far you can go over or under whatever you need to do. It's not about one player. And as you've seen through all of the tier videos me and Matt have done, one guy doesn't do everything. There's not one guy that is only the perfect person who fits what you do, especially when you get into the middle areas. There's not just one guy. There might be five options. And if someone gets overpriced, well, that means someone gets underpriced. This is a not necessarily a binary market, but it is because there's an there's a finite amount of money. So not everyone can go overpriced because somebody has to be underpriced. Has to. There is only $2,400 in a standard league pool. That brings us to one of the major questions that gets asked in a auction draft. Do I build balanced or do I build stars and scrubs? What is a balanced build? A balanced build means that you just get a bunch of players usually who are in a standard ranking setting between 25 and 110. All 13 or 12 of your players with one flyer at the end are top 100 guys, let's say, but none of them are top 25 players. And that might seem like a ridiculous way to go about it, but it is a way you can go about it. Stars and scrubs means I'm paying up. I'm going to get Jokic and Embiid. I'm going to spend $130 on those two guys. I'll get another guy in the mid-rounds. I'll take Donovan Mitchell for $30. And that's $160 done on three players. And my other $40 I'll spend on uh, my other 10 guys. I'll get a lot of $1 players. I'll work the waiver wire. But my main studs are going to carry me. What do I like to do? I like to go balanced. I, I like to go balanced. And I'll explain why with using a real-life example. The Los Angeles Lakers last season went stars and scrubs. Davis, LeBron, Westbrook. Now, was Westbrook a star? No, but he was getting paid by it like one. So all they could afford was scrubs around them. And it didn't work. There was no depth. As soon as someone gets hurt, Davis, LeBron, you're rooted. And when you go stars and scrubs in an auction draft league, the same thing happens. You might have those two best players who carry so much value and you might think you're an absolute genius at working the wire, and maybe you are. But the, what, what ends up happening is, and I'll talk about this in, in a second, is that you just leave yourself prone to fickleness. In terms of going with a balanced build, you have way more resilience against injury. Way more. Your best player gets hurt. It might be like the 30th best guy. What name can I use to... Um, you provide an example there for your 30th best player. Let's use Carl Anthony Towns might be your best player. All right. Is that particularly inspiring? Not really. Is Jimmy Butler your best player? Is Mikhail Bridges? Is Cade Cunningham? Desmond Bain? Are they, they, they might be your best player, right? It's not Jokic. It's not Shea. It's not Steph. It's not Halliburton. It's none of those guys. That's your best player. But the difference between that guy if he gets hurt and the waiver wire player that you replace him with is not as large and you've got seven other players who are relatively equivalent, you can make up for that. You are. It's not like we're talking about the NBA where a balanced roster, a deep roster, has really good regular season success, but they struggle in the playoffs to a degree because 
teams start playing short rotations and it's only the top-end guys who really matter. In the fantasy playoffs, you don't start counting only five guys instead of your 10 active guys. It's still the same. So having that depth enables you to withstand injuries. It enables you to withstand the vagaries of schedules. You go into a playoff week and your best guy plays three games and your second best guy plays three games and more importantly, your opponents play four. Well, that's a real disadvantage. But when you don't really have a best player, when you've got 10 best players, who legitimately there can be situations where you have 10 guys ranked between 30 to 70 and you'll see the dynamic of how this plays out in drafts where someone might hold on to all their money through the first 30 nominations and then fill out 11 spots in the next 20, 20 picks and go bang, bang, bang and just get them all in there. Get all those mid-round guys in. You've got way more resilience. You've got way more flexibility to do different things, to do two-for-one trades, to change your builds and punt strategies. But the cons in a balanced league, it's less fun. You don't have the best players on your team. So do you derive fun from watching the best players or do you derive fun from winning? There's no judgment either way. But if you derive fun from having a top five player on your team, well, this build is not going to work for you because you won't have that. If you derive fun from crushing your opponents, well, this build will have more value for you because you are going to have that chance of winning and you are more insulated against the negatives. In terms of stars and scrubs, well, again, it's the fun factor. That's the positive, isn't it? is that you get to watch the best players in the NBA put up numbers for your fantasy team. You've got more of an ability when they're cooking and playing a lot of games to dominate. And if you do work that waiver wire really, really well, you can maybe get yourself two or three other top 70 players for free during the season. But that's the con, isn't it? Is you have to be a waiver hound. You have to be attacking the waiver wire all the time because you need to find those values. Because if you've got three top 30 players on your team and everyone else is outside the top 120, well, you're, you're not going to get there. And streaming's probably not going to make it up. You need to find a waiver guy that hits, that becomes a top 70 player, or two of them, to give you more value. And you are way more um, at risk of the vagaries of schedule and of injury. League size also has an impact. The fewer teams in your league, Stars and Scrubs is way better. If you're in an eight-team league or even a 10-team league, going Stars and Scrubs is great because the value of the players on the waiver wire is elevated. So you get those two or three top-end guys and you can just churn in and, and stream guys through and find so many options on the wire. More teams, well, a balanced team wins. If you're in a 20-team auction draft, you, you honestly, if people don't know how to play it and they're spending up, I'm going to spend, uh, you know, because the values on Yahoo the projected value will jump up to like $100 in a 2010 league for the top-end guys. And they take that guy and they're going to fill 12 other spots with $100. You can come in and grab 11 players who are between 20 and 50. And you, you, you'll never lose. You, you just never will. So that's a general. The more teams you push into, balanced works better. The fewer teams, stars and scrubs works better. You also have to understand the impact of the auction dynamic. And, and this is something that's going to happen tomorrow. Everyone and their mom and their dog and their dad knows that I like to do a balanced auction build. So when people come in and draft against me, and I've been saying this for so many years that other people have sort of started to you know, take on this idea, is that if everyone starts doing a balanced build, you don't actually get any value off players. Because everyone's saving their money. No one's going ham and grabbing the two high-end guys and overpaying them by $15 each. 
So everyone's saving their money to try and grab the mid-round players. And the value in that is gone. You can't really do it. If you think, you know, like Franz Wagner is listed as $6, but everyone in your draft thinks he's a $15 player, well, there's no value in going that build anymore. The value in going a balanced build is getting all those mid-round guys because everyone spent their money on other guys and you get them all 5 $6 cheaper and you can load your team up that way. You can load it up, but it's got to have worked out well. And it, Or if you want to go in stars and scrubs and you see that everyone's overpaying for top-end talent, hold your money. It does not matter if you haven't drafted a guy and 30 players have come off the board. Because if you fill your roster then with 10 guys who are top 60 players, you're fine. You're okay. Maybe get maybe get 12 top 70 guys. You're fine. You're good. And you will then have the money to outbid everybody later on. That's another key part that we haven't really talked about too much is having the money left to outbid. We'll talk about it a little bit now towards the end of a draft. There is a stage and there is no definite way of saying what it is. But there is a stage where if you hold on to your money for too long, it becomes worthless. You start spending $10 on $2 players just because you've got the money there. So when you are holding on to your money, always look at who is left on the board. Who is a player here that I want to get and I want to spend this money on? Have that dynamic adjustment of your budget set. The end of an auction draft turns into a snake draft when everybody can only maximum bid $1. So understand that. If you've got these great sleepers sitting there at $1, you're not going to have that opportunity to get them because if there's only if people can only max bid $1, it just turns into you nominate, you get, you nominate, you get, you nominate, you get. Now, if everyone's got a max bid of $1 and you've got a max bid of $3, well, you have got the pick of anybody you want through those last 30 picks. Someone throws him out for a dollar, you go, I'll take him for two, thanks. They, next guy comes out to a dollar, you don't want him. The next guy comes out, it's a dollar, I'll have him. $2, you got him. And then you're back to the $1 situation. That's why always trying to, it's always adjusting. What's everyone else doing? Are they all out of money? I'll hold on. Is everyone holding on to their money? Maybe it's idea, a good idea for me to get value on these higher-end guys. People will tell you you should never leave an auction draft with money left over. And it's true to a degree. It's true to a degree. In a dynasty format where a bidded amount turns into salary, leave as much as you want because that means you've got the players and the salary and you've got cap space to do other stuff. But in a redraft league, I think if you're leaving $4 on the board, it doesn't really matter. If you've been able to get projected value your or your own value of guys worth $280 and you did that and you saved $10 off so many different players, it doesn't matter that you got $4 left over. Sure, it would have been nice to have spent that up early, but if you had have spent that extra $4 you had left, it might have meant going for a higher guy and you couldn't have just put an extra four on them. You might have needed an extra $20 because your best player was worth $25. And to get a higher-end guy, you've got that extra four. Like, does the 25 versus 29 mean that much? Does it make sense in your team? But I've been able to get him for that extra four. So while it's not great, and you'd love to squeeze every single dollar's worth of value out of it, if you've already squeezed $85 extra value out of your draft, don't sweat it too much. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. If you're left with 20, then that's probably a bad, that's bad play. That's bad strategy. But don't stress it too much. Always look to manage your budget. If you can, try and hold money for late. There is going to be players who inevitably you go, how did he go for $1? How? How did he go for $1? That'll happen. And if you've got money left over, you're the one who takes advantage of those players. So let's talk about 
knowing the draft. What is your ideal outcome? Use projected value of the site that you're on. Use the average value. How much can you squeeze out? How strong does it make your team? Understanding that you might not get that, but what is an ideal outcome for you? And then have plan B, plan C, plan D. Or like it also, what's, this is a great outcome, but what about another outcome or a different outcome or another outcome? And have like a decision tree even. If I don't get this guy, I can get this player and it will cost me $3 more. I get this player, it'll probably cost me $5 less. And then if I get that guy at $5 less, where do I distribute the other money? So put it all there with different options at every player and how much money you can save and, and extra spend to get those guys in. Understand that you can pivot. You can have a stars and scrubs outline. You can have a balanced outline and it depends what others are doing and being able to adjust. And that is also one of the major things in an auction draft. You have got to be flexible. You've got to be ready to change based on every single player that goes off the board. Be able to adjust your strategy and the valuations that you have on players. And that again comes back to something I've been talking about a lot is that in a snake draft, we talk about, well, this guy's going in around 10 or 11 or 12 or 13, when realistically, all of these guys are $1 or $2 players. And the guy that goes with the first pick of round 10 versus the guy that goes with the last pick of round 13, the difference between them is not that big. And that's where auction drafts changes. And that's why when people go, how do I convert ADP or round value or rank number into auction dollars? It doesn't work that way. Someone threw this at me the other day and I hadn't heard the term, but I like it, ordinality where we have numbers in a list, one, two, three, four, five. I'm sure you can count. We just keep going down. But that doesn't tell us anything. The difference between two to three versus the difference between 12 and 13 is not the same. And auction prices reflect that. Auction prices use actual value versus ordinal lists. So the guy that is going at pick one for this year, or so let's use pick 10 this year, there's no blanket conversion. He, the bloke that's 10 next year might be very different. The bloke that's 30 this year will be very different to the guy that's 30 next year. The guy that's 10 this year might be worth 40. Last year, he might have been worth 35. Next year, he might be worth 47. Because it's not about where you position. It's not about whether there's nine guys better than you. That's what makes you 10th in a snake draft. That's not what makes you $40 in an auction. It's what actual value you're providing. If we had a situation where there were five guys who were basically tied for the number one sort of pick value and we could debate them to go at number one in a snake draft, then the guy at five that year is different to the guy at five this season where if we look and go, I don't know, I'm going to pick at five. He's way off the pace. You can't convert it that way. It, that is nothing to do with ordinal numbers. It's to do with overall value and the guy who is 96th might be worth $2. The guy that's 156th might be worth $1. There's no difference. And I think we need to approach snake drafts a little bit like that as well. Have some sort of draft tracker. Now, of course, over at Basketball Monster, we have a draft tracker. And you'll see down here, zoom in if you can't see it. There's a little segment on the left here that says, uh, actually, I can't even see it. What does it say? Adjust... Um, Adjust prices based on money off the board. So we have valuations of players. 
We show you the projected number on Yahoo, the average number on Yahoo, which adjusts based on league size and roster size. But we've got that box down that says adjust dollars based on money already spent. It will do for any player who's undrafted. It will adjust their price based on how much has been spent on drafted players and your dollar column in the draft tracker will adjust. So initially you might have seen a guy worth $20, but all of these guys went off the board for more expensive prices. So there's less money around. So he's maybe not worth 20 anymore. He's not going to go for that amount because that money's not around. So it will, it will dynamically adjust the price of these players and enable you to keep track of A, how much you spent based on average price, projected price, and based on valuation of players as well. And it will show you original value and adjusted value during the draft. So that's what our draft tracker is able to show you on Basketball Monster. But having a plan, tracking it down, adjusting is one of the key things in an auction draft. So I say all that, and then we're going to do the auction mock tomorrow. And there's going to be things that I screw up. You screw up all the time, but I also do want to stress to you, unless you just completely destroy your draft, um, and by just sorry, by destroy, I mean you, you're terrible at it. Unless you're terrible at your draft, the draft is a very fun part of fantasy, but it's extremely overrated in its overall importance in winning a league. I mean, a best ball draft, it's the only thing, of course, but it's extremely overrated in terms of the value of a draft because so many guys are so closely tied in value, we're talking week-to-week matchups where variance is a big factor. So having an okay draft, a solid enough draft, is great. Now, if you could go out and dominate and get $400 worth of value for a $200 budget, you are going to be tough to beat. But if you feel like you didn't have the best draft or you overspent on a couple of guys, it's fine. You can deal with it. If you went out there and you ended up you know, overspending by $30 on three players, well... That's not good. But that's a real like miscalculation or you end the draft with $50 left in your kitty because it doesn't do anything. You can't do anything with it. That screws you as well. So as long as you can keep yourself doing okay, fairly good, on an even, on a nice little path, that's good, especially when you're starting out. Dominate it by all means. But you're not always going to be able to do it. And the better people that you go up against and there's way more fantasy basketball knowledge around now than there was 10 years ago, just keeping yourself from being a disaster and understanding discipline, budget management will get you there. I hope that that answered a lot of questions. There's so much that I could talk about and cover and I hope that gave you some examples or some things that you need to pay attention to. But the best way is A, by watching my auction mock tomorrow. That's one. That's not the best way. It's A way. Uh, do, do mocks. And even though... I think auction mocks actually probably have more value than a snake mock because A, it's a different, it's a harder format and even the, those computer guys will be bidding, but it just shows you that of how to to balance, how to bid guys um, up, how to uh, look at that valuation of guys. Now, it's not great that they're all computer players because you know you, you saw some of those Yahoo projected numbers were ridiculous. Like Zach Collins was $0. What are we doing here, right? He's worth more than that but it does give you an idea of the mechanisms of building a team. Try it. And I think, I think when I announce the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl uh, in a few weeks' time, I think a few of the divisions will be auction drafts. Be aware of that. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app while on YouTube. You can thumb it up and you can leave your comments 
down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.